The trademark of Christianity is not some bumper sticker that you have on the back of your car that says something about your faith. The trademark of Christianity is not this five-pound cross you wear around your neck or this ten-pound Bible you carry around or these, these statements that, that uh, you make about the truth and the standards and the doctrine and um, for all that stuff. <laughs> well, let me just say this. The trademark of Christianity is love. The Bible says that the gospel of Christ is the power of God unto salvation. Welcome to Pulpit Power, featuring Pastor Tony Skeving, Senior Pastor of Fargo Baptist Church in Fargo, North Dakota. Today's message was previously preached before a church audience. And now, here's Pastor Skeving. Well, if you have a Bible, turn to 1 John chapter 2, if you would. 1 John chapter 2. The date was December 13th, 1981. <laughs> Nine months earlier, I'd gotten saved, and two months earlier, God had called me to preach. But on December 13th, 1981, I gave my very first sermon. It was a Sunday night in our local church. I'll never forget the message. It was entitled, There's No People Like God's People. And that's true. There's something about God's people. There's a trademark that they hold. And I'd like to talk about that trademark today. The Christian's trademark. It's identified here in 1 John 2, beginning in verse number 7. John writes, Brethren, I write no new commandment unto you, but an old commandment, which you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you have heard from the beginning. Again, a new commandment I write unto you, which thing is true in him and in you, because the darkness is past and the true light now shineth. He that saith he is in the light and hateth his brother is in darkness even until now. He that loveth his brother abideth in the light, and there is none occasion of stumbling in him. But he that hateth his brother is in darkness." And walketh in darkness, and knoweth not whither he goeth, because that darkness hath blinded his eyes. I don't know if you caught it as we were reading it, but it's love. Love is a Christian's trademark. We're going to be talking about that today. Let's pray before we begin. Father, we thank you, dear Lord, for this wonderful book, this glorious passage, this tremendous truth. Help us to listen carefully now at this hour. Help us now to glean something that will help us and help us to serve you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Many years ago, the USS Pueblo was captured by the North Koreans. And they brought the Americans, 82 of them, into a, a Korean prison camp, if you can imagine that. They divided them up, decided to play mind games with them. They took 13 of them and they put them in a private isolated room, and they made them sit erect on rigid chairs for hours around a table. All of a sudden, out of nowhere, a Korean guard came in and with the butt of his rifle began to beat on the man in the first chair next to the door until he had beat him nearly to death. He was unconscious on the floor in a pool of blood, and then he got up and he left. Well, 24 hours passed, and those 13 men were sitting in that same room, all of them in the same chairs, all of a sudden, the same guard came in and began to beat on the guy in the first chair. The same guy nearly beat him to death, left him unconscious on the floor. 
Well, this happened a third time to the same guy until finally these men realized he wasn't going to live through this day after day. So one brave young soldier stepped up and volunteered to sit in that chair the next day, knowing he would take that same beating. And the next day, somebody else volunteered. And the day after, somebody else volunteered. <clears throat> the Koreans con- continued to do this until they finally gave up and realized these men were going to sacrifice for each other because they loved each other. There's something about love that's very, very powerful. A sacrificial love. It's really the trademark of a Christian. In fact, back in the first century when all the Neros and the Caesars and the emperors were scratching their heads trying to figure out this new religion thing and and what makes it tick, they did studies on it. And they kept coming up with the same conclusion. These people love each other. They have love. Well, that is a, a badge of a believer, or at least it should be. It is the trademark of a Christian. It it is our logo, or at least it should be. It's our tag. It's our identification. It is our, our signature, this thing called love. And here's John the Apostle writing, aged in his 90s perhaps, and with a, a shaky hand picking up pen in hand and, and beginning to write something. And he writes for us this glorious epistle, First John, that we've been studying recently. And in this particular passage, about a half dozen verses or so, there's a theme, there's a thought, there's a truth that we cannot miss. It's the trademark of a Christian. As we look at it, we see three things. The first is what I call a slight amendment. A slight amendment. Notice verses 7 and 8 here. He says, Brethren, I write no new commandment unto you, but an old commandment, which ye had from the beginning... The old commandment is the word which you heard from the beginning. Again, a new commandment I write unto you, which thing is true in him and in you, because the darkness is past and the true light now shineth. He says, I'm writing to you a new commandment, which is an old commandment. And you say, well, pastor, which was it? Well, both. Yes and no. There's just simply a slight amendment made to an old commandment commandment. There's a little revision. It's, it's modified. Now, here's the old commandment that John is talking about here, and it was given way back yonder in the wilderness wandering, back in the days of Moses, and it's found in Leviticus 19 and verse 18. Here it is. Thou shalt not avenge, nor bear any grudge against the children of thy people. Here it is. But thou shalt love thy neighbor, God says, as thyself, I am the Lord. There it is. It's a really archaic Antique, old commandment. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. That's familiar to us, isn't it? That's a very common commandment. It's often repeated. In fact, it's even repeated in the New Testament. We find in the New Testament book of Galatians 5 and verse 14, it says, by love serve one another. For all the love is fulfilled in one word. Even in this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There it is again. Love your neighbor as yourself. In fact, in the New Testament, it's called the royal law. We read in James 2.8, If you fulfill the royal law, according to the Scripture, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. You say, okay, pastor, I get it. I get it. There's this old commandment, love your neighbor as you do yourself. That's old. What's so new about it? What's John talking about here? Giving us some new commandment. Well, let's go back uh, 60 years prior to 1 John here. Get the setting. It's the Last Supper. There are 12 men 
uh, reclining, actually 13, around a table because the Lord Jesus Christ is with His 12. And he, he says that I've loved you unto the end. Imagine that. The Bible says, in having loved His own, He loved them to the end. That would include Judas, the one who had already sold him the, the traitor Judas who had already sold Jesus for some pieces of silver, but Jesus still loved him. Jesus still loved those apostles who, by the way, were always doing something dumb, uh, arguing about who'd be the greatest, calling down fire or wanting to on different people, and uh, not getting what he was talking about. Talk about patience. They were so dense. But Jesus loved them unto the end because his love had no limit. And so, now you picture these, these men, Jesus and the apostles, and they're sitting around the table, and all of a sudden there's a truth that breaks through the darkness. In John thirteen thirty four, he said, A new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another, as I have loved you, that you love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if you have love one to another. Now John, 60 years later, is writing, and all of a sudden he recalls that. He recalls this new commandment that Jesus Christ had given his disciples that night. And he, he mentions, I'm giving you a new commandment here. You say, but, but pastor, wait a minute. That's the same commandment that we saw back in Leviticus. That's an old commandment. Well, let me highlight something for you that makes it a little different. A new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another as I, Jesus says, have loved you. As I have loved you. He's saying we're supposed to love the way he loved. Now, back in Leviticus, it says, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. See the difference there? It's a slight amendment. But the motive is different. The standard is different. It's not you anymore. Though we love ourselves, we're we're not supposed to love others like we do ourselves, but we're supposed to love others the way Jesus loved others. And so it's no longer a duty. It's it's, It's by grace. The difference is the motive. On March 6th, 1981, it was a Friday. It was the day after I got saved. And I was floating. I'll just tell you, (laughs) I was on cloud nine. I thought about it this last week because I met somebody this last week who I haven't seen in decades. The, The first guy I witnessed to the day after I got saved. I'll tell more about him in another message later on. But let me just say, that next day I was rejoicing. I was, I was gushing with love. I, I can't explain it unless you think of uh, like when the, the Grinch gets transformed and says, I just love you. I just felt like that the next day. There's something about getting saved that does something for the heart. And it'll change the, the hardened criminal, the, the, the drug addict, the drug pusher. The, and by the way, we've had witch doctors saved over in Africa. And, and, and it, they just change. There's something about salvation that'll get a kid out of a gang and, and whatever it is. When God moves in, there is something different. And I was different. And so Jesus described it. Loving one another the way he loved us. Later on that same night at the Last Supper... John 15, 12, he said, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. He repeats it again. And he calls it a commandment. It's kind of like, wow, this isn't an option. This, this is not a request. He is saying, you need to love each other. God doesn't give any impossible commands, by the way. So there must be a way to make this work, and we need to find that way. Well, with that truth, ringing in the ears of John the Apostle 60 years later, in his 90s, 
That's why he writes this. In John, 1 John again, in uh, chapter 2 and in verse number 7, Brethren, I write no new commandment unto you, but an old commandment which ye have heard from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which ye have heard from the beginning. Jesus Christ repeated it more than once, and it's something that John never forgot. Loving each other. It was a slight amendment. Like Jesus loved us. You know, the Spirit of God ought to make us like Christ. When we get saved and and Christ moves in, the Spirit of Christ moves in, we ought to be able to do it and have Christ living in us sacrificially with no limits, no longer walking in the flesh, but walking in the Spirit. That's what this is talking about here. Now, notice in verse number 8, Again, a new commandment I write unto you, which thing is true in Him and in you. In other words, it was true in Him. He loved. It ought to be true in us now as well. In Ephesians 5 and in verse 1, it says, Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also hath loved us. You know, those little words like that, we we miss them. We overlook them. But we are to love now, not like we do ourselves, but as Christ loved. That is the difference. And that is something to be taken seriously. It's a slight revision, plain and simple. Now, notice in verse number 8 also, a new commandment I write unto you, which thing is true in him and in you, because the darkness is past. And the true light now shineth. You say, Pastor, what's that talking about? Well, it could be talking about the fact that these believers that John is writing to, he calls them brethren, the darkness for them had passed, and now they're in the light. Or it could be talking about the fact that now Christ is in the world, and we have the light, and no excuse for the darkness. Do you know that 700 years before Jesus Christ was born in Bethlehem stable, we read in Isaiah 9 and verse 2, the people that walked in darkness have seen a great light, They that dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them hath the light shined. So maybe John's talking about the fact that Christ now has come, the light has come, and we have no excuse we can be transported from darkness into light. In fact, Jesus himself said in John 12, 46, I am come a light into the world, that whosoever believeth on me should not abide in darkness. For years I abode in that darkness, for nearly 21 years of my life. I was religious, I was a churchgoer, I'd been baptized as a baby, I was trying to do right, hadn't murdered anybody, certain do's and don'ts I was trying to keep, but I was as lost as it could be. I was in that darkness. I did not realize that the wages of sin is death or hell, but the gift of God, that's Jesus Christ dying on the cross, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And on that March night, Thursday night, in Crookston, Minnesota, I called upon the Lord and asked Him to save me. I was born again. And, and, and stepped out of the dark that night, I can't explain it, into God's marvelous light, the light of the Lord Jesus Christ, who said, I am come a light into the world, that whosoever believeth on me, that was me that night, should not abide in darkness. So, have you had a before and an after? A before salvation, an after salvation? We read in Ephesians 5.8, For ye were sometimes darkness, or in the past darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. That's an admonition. Have we been transported from the darkness into the light? Have you been born again the Bible way? That's really the question we ought to ask ourselves. Because actually, there's a slight revision to the commandment, love one another as you love yourself. There is an 11th commandment, if you will. 
Jesus gives it to us. And he says, love one another as I have loved you. So we see, first of all, that slight amendment. Secondly, though, we see that sinister attitude. Here's where it gets a little bit prickly. In verse number 9 of our text, it says, He that saith he is in the light and hateth his brother is in darkness even until now. In other words, he that claims to be a Christian, claims to be born again, and is harboring bitterness and harboring anger and harboring resentment toward a brother in Christ is, is in the dark. He just doesn't know it. If our hearts are a headquarter for hate, we have some real issues. It is a sinister attitude. And I use that word, though it be a strong word, because we underestimate how wicked this is, how unchristian this is, how depraved this is, how ungodly this is, how unchristlike this is, how ugly and, and prickly it really is. But it's a reality. There's often hate in the heart of God's people that, that should not be there. Notice again verse 9. He that saith he's in the light and hateth his brother is in darkness even until now. You know, you, you say, well, I don't hate my brother. Well, that word hate there not only means to detest, but it speaks of just to have an aversion for, a, a strong aversion for. We claim to be in the light, and yet we are, we are bitter towards somebody. What's wrong with this picture? Well, according to the Bible, it's, it's an oxymoron. It doesn't, it doesn't line up. And this is the ugly side of God's family. May I say, this is our dirty little secret as Christian people. We don't want the world to know we're harboring such things in our hearts. But quite often, they're there. And, and, and it's blinding us. There's, there's no neutral here. It's black and white. Do we dislike somebody? Notice in verse number 11. But he that hateth his brother is in darkness, and walketh in darkness, and knoweth not whither he goeth, because that darkness hath blinded his eyes." The devil specializes in this. Notice the darkness has blinded our eyes. This is the devil's dirty business here. We read in 2 Corinthians 4, 4 that the small g, God of this world, the devil hath blinded the minds of them. The devil can blind minds. He really can. And, and by the way, that word hate there again in verse number 11, it's not just a positive hatred, but it's really the absence of love where we don't have a love in our heart for the brethren, when we lack love for the brethren, the Bible calls it a, a, a hatred and it's a blindness that goes with it. We don't even realize we've been blinded. In fact, the Bible says in 2 Peter 1.9, But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off and hath forgotten that he was purged from his own sins. This is talk about born-again people here. We blind ourselves. We forget that we've been purged from our own sins. We forget how we have been forgiven. By the way, it's so hypocritical on our parts to be forgiven so much by Christ and not to be able to turn around and forgive others. It is blinding. And there are a lot of characters in the Bible who are blinded with bitterness and blinded with jealousy and blinded with hatred. I think of King Saul who spent 12 years of his reign chasing David around the countryside with a bitter heart full of hatred because he was jealous of him. And he was so blinded by it, he thought he was the good guy and David was the bad guy. And he was seeking sympathy and telling everybody, oh, thank you for having pity on me and, and, and God's delivered him into my hands now and so on. And, and God wasn't within a million miles of Saul, but Saul didn't know it. Why? Because that hatred had blinded him. We become self-deceived. And, and, and we can say, praise the Lord all we want, pretend we're spiritual. 
But we're lying. We're lying. We're not close to the Lord at all. We're clueless. We've lost that fellowship. That's what the Bible says. When there is bitterness in our hearts, we have no fellowship with God. We are blinded, plain and simple. And we have no victory in our lives. Even if we, even if we minimize the hatred. Well, I don't really hate them. I just don't like them. I just, whatever we want to call it. We still have this stinking thinking in our head about him. We still have this vicious conversation about this person. We're harboring this stuff in our hearts. And whatever you want to call it, God calls it hate. We, we rag on somebody. We rag on the church. We rag on the brethren. We, we rag on the preacher. And in the process, we're doing the work of the devil. Plain and simple. You know what Jesus said in Luke eleven twenty three? He said, He that is not with me is against me. And he that gathereth not with me scattereth. There are Christian people in churches like this who are scattering because of the, the harboring of hatred in the heart, driving people away, being a huge Pharisee because we have a deficit of love, plain and simple. We really aren't loving the way we ought to be loving. We're straining at gnats and we're, we're swallowing camels because of this deficit of love. And we don't think it's any big deal. You know, there was a time, and here's John, the writer of this little epistle. There was a time when John himself had a deficit of love. They're walking through Samaria, and you remember the story. Him and his brother James see the reaction of the Samaritans to Jesus, and uh, it's a cold one. It's a, a, a frigid reception. And John says, Lord, would you that we call down fire on these people? Oh, there's a lot of love there, isn't it? Just incinerate them. Burn up a whole village alive. And Jesus looked at him, I believe, with disgust. And he said, you know not what spirit you're of. I didn't come to destroy people. came to save people. Imagine that. Bullies. You know, John and James needed more time in the school of love, didn't they? And they got it. And uh, that's why John is writing this. Again, look in verse number 9. He that saith he is in the light and hateth his brother is in darkness even until now. You know, let me just say this. Back in the 80s and the 90s, back when I was cutting my teeth spiritually, there was a lot of churches and there were some big-name preachers, and, and, and it was just the culture back then. Um, a lot of insecurity there was always these preachers in these churches that were looking for a fight. And they masqueraded as contending for the faith, and it wasn't that. Really, it wasn't that at all. They were just being Baptist bullies. And, you know, that's what we grew up with, and it, it infected me. It was a culture. It wasn't anything biblical. It was just the culture. And I thought, well, this is, this is Christianity. You just, you just call down fire on people, you know. And one day it dawned on me, what spirit is that of? What spirit is that of? That's not found in the, the Bible. You know, beloved, let me just say furthermore, we need to watch our hearts toward people we don't even agree with. You say, well, there's this politician. I, I just hate him. Or there's this false prophet. I can't stand him. Well, stop and think about that for a moment. Our church motto is speaking the truth in what? Love. Ephesians 4.15. Speaking the truth in love. Not sarcasm, <laughs> although I've done that. Not belligerently, not being contentious or obnoxious or abrasive or harsh, but speaking the truth in love. Many years ago, C.S. Lewis heard somebody say, you ought to love the sinner but hate their sin. And he thought, that's impossible. How can you 
love a sinner when they're such a sinner? How can you hate their sin without hating them? Until one day he realized, wait a minute, there's one man in this world I've done that to all my life. Himself. (laughs) Why is it that we can overlook our own sin, but not somebody else? We continue to love ourselves, though we're sinners, but not others. Boy, we get disgusted with their sin. We hate it. That word hate in verse 7 and in, in verse 9, it's a strong aversion. I mean, it's, it's, it's even if we say, well, that person, he's no concern of mine. No skin off my nose. Or I don't even like being a lo- around him. That's, that's not loving, beloved. How long is our blacklist? That'd be a good question for all of us. How many people do we have on our, our dirty little list? These people we don't like. As Christians, imagine having having that attitude. You know that some of the nastiest letters I've gotten over the years are from born-again Christians. You can imagine that. Some of the the worst treatment I've received, it hasn't come from the drunk in the gutter. (laughs) I I mean, sometimes I feel I can get along with him better. But it has come from people who claim to know the Lord Jesus Christ. And quite often, the, the... the letter's not even written. It's just verbal. It's just vicious. It's, it's just conversation. But this passage here is saying it's darkness. We are in the darkness. Sadly, every congregation has some of this because every congregation has some dissension in it, doesn't it? Some people who just like to feud. May I say that, that hate has no place in the Christian's heart? We need to repent of that. We need to find, by God's grace, forgiveness John had lived long enough here, and and he realized that's not the the way to go. And you and I are in for a long, miserable life if we can't forgive. If we are still nursing some hatred, some resentment, if we're enveloped in this darkness and it's skewed our judgment, we're in for a long life. And we're in for a miserable life here. If there are people that we immediately have this feeling about when their name is mentioned, an immediate prejudice toward them, We have an issue. We really do. If we have negative thoughts about them, we have some issues. You know that the progress of any New Testament church is suppressed and and retarded as long as there's hatred in the hearts of God's people. And you know that the, the tragedy of it is the lost stay lost. The devil loves this stuff because it causes dissension in a church and the Spirit of God is quenched and it's grieved the power of God is, is absent, and the lost stay lost. That's why I call it a sinister attitude. So we see the slight amendment. We see the sinister attitude. But finally, let's talk about saintly affection. Saintly affection. I've done a lot of study over the years about Sir Ernest Shackleton and his, his journey to the Antarctic. And that expedition is just an amazing one that uh, I could preach a month of sermons on it. But there's one story from the expedition that just has intrigued me. I've never forgotten it. When, when their boat was broken up and they were in some makeshift shafts, uh, shacks down in the Antarctic, if you can imagine that. I mean, it's frigid and, and, and food is scarce. And, and Shackleton had rationed out the last biscuit to each man. And they laid down in their cold sleeping bags that night. And Shackleton was kind of off in the distance from the rest of them, unable to sleep as the leader, full of anxiety. And he said he noticed in the middle of the night his key man, a man he would have trusted with his own life, looking around there under the full moon, he could see him. And when that man thought everybody was asleep, he went over to another man and grabbed his biscuit bag. Shackleton's heart froze. 
He couldn't believe that, that these circumstances had turned this man into a common thief, a man he would have trusted with his own life. And that man took another man's biscuit bag and he brought it over to his own biscuit bag and he reached in his own and he took out his biscuit and he put it in the bag of the other man and he put it back, leaving his bag empty. And Shackleton realized at that moment he had, he had misjudged that man. His motive was totally the opposite. He was giving up his last biscuit out of love, sacrificially. And, and Shackleton said later it was such a, a, a sacred sacrifice. He said, I've never told him to this day who that man was. Saintly affection, saintly passion, saintly charity, saintly love. The question for us all is, do we have that? Notice now verse number 10. He that loveth his brother abideth in the light, and there is none occasion of stumbling in him. You say, well, pastor, I love the Lord. That's not what it says. And it's no big deal to love the Lord. You ought to love the Lord after what he's done for you. You know, I'd stand in a, in a line 10 miles long for the rest of my life if I could just have audience with the Lord and, and touch him. I mean, for just one moment, I'd do that forever just to see him. I love the Lord. I love the Father. I love the Son. I love the Holy Spirit. But that's not what the verse says. Notice again in verse 10. He that loveth his brother abideth in the light. And there is none occasion of stumbling in him. Notice that word stumbling. It speaks of an obstacle. It speaks of, a, of an impediment. Something that trips you up or stifles something. And as I said a moment ago, a lack of love amongst God's people stifles the salvation of souls. And it's tragic. And that's why the devil will hit us in this area. Because he loves this. Notice it says there's none occasion of stumbling in the guy who walks in the light and loves. That, that word stumbling also means scandal. And you might find that in the margin of your Bible. There's no scandal there. You know that hateful, bitter people often end up in scandal? I, I've seen this. I've been saved uh, decades now, and, and I, I've seen that. I, I've seen the casualties. I've, I've seen the shipwrecks. I mentioned Saul a moment ago. That's what happens. They bring shame upon themselves. I've been to the city over in Israel of Bashan where the wall uh, held the spiked body of Saul, which was the end result of his hatred. There's no occasion of stumbling or scandal in somebody who loves. We end up in scandal quite often. It's no wonder that Jesus said in John 15, 17, these things I command you that you love one another. It's not optional. It's not a request. It is a requirement. There must be a way to, to fulfill it. We need to find that way because anything less is devilish. May I say to you that bitterness and, and resentment and hatred, hatred are addictive? This is an area of, of, uh, of, of anger and hatred most people don't even realize. We feed off it after a while. We, we stew about it and we talk about it. It actually becomes an addiction. We are in bondage with this hatred. And in the process, it chokes out the work of God. It muzzles it. It strangles it. It, it suffocates it. It, it suppresses it. And, and though we don't even express it, we go around again with that stinking thinking. Thinking poorly in all these areas. That, that vicious conversation or that vicious thinking. Now, is victory possible? Is it possible? Well, 2 Corinthians 6, 1 Bible says, we beseech you also that you receive not the grace of God in vain. Is it possible? If it's something we don't find the grace to do, we've received the grace of God in vain. See what I'm saying? 
And the grace of God is the ability to do that which we couldn't do on our own. The grace of God is the ability to do what only God can do. Is victory possible? Well, if we don't incorporate that grace of God, we've received it in vain. I think it was Mark Twain years ago who said there are a few of us who can stand prosperity. That is the prosperity of another. <laughs> There's just something about us that has a hard time truly being genuinely happy for somebody else. Yet the Bible says in Romans 13:10, love worketh no ill to his neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Now you've sat here courteously listening Maybe doing a self-exam. May I say to you, I've been examining myself all week. How would you like to have to preach this? How would you like to have to stand up and say, you people need... No, there's none of this you people. We need to work on this love thing. We need to get victory in this area. I don't know about you, and I've said it recently. I'm the biggest sinner I know. You know, I get really irritated sometimes. Do you know I get downright frustrated sometimes? You know I get downright disgusted sometimes with people. I hate my selfishness. I hate my motives when they're not right. I can't stand it when I get offended by something somebody else does, but I do. And people get on my nerves. I deal with my own pride. I deal with meekness. Struggle there. I, I, I struggle with, with contentment. Sometimes my attitude stinks. I, I struggle with my attitude. I struggle with forgiveness. I, I sometimes I'm not sincere. I should be, but I'm not. Sometimes I don't have the boldness I ought to have to share my faith with other people and to share God's Word with them. I'm not always alert to needs. I don't catch them the way I ought to. I'm not as hospitable as I ought to be. I know that. I'm not as thoughtful as I ought to be. I'm not as generous as I ought to be. I'm not always available the way I ought to be available. I really lack patience. <laughs> I know that one. And I'm not always grateful. And I'm not always sensitive. And I'm not always using the influence that God has given me to encourage other people. I just, I'm too into myself. I should catch it. And by the way, there's a, there's a lot more to sin than the Ten Commandments. I could stand here all day. And, and I'm just confessing my sin. These are my issues. I, I admit them. I fail to show love, the very trademark of Christian people. I fail to show it the way I ought to. And so, I want to say to this church today that I do love you. I love you. And I'm not talking about the church building. We know better than that. <laughs> this isn't the church. The church is the people. This church, I don't say it enough, but you don't know what you mean to me. You really don't. Your, your sacrifice, your faithfulness, your serving alongside of you is such a privilege. I, I, I couldn't imagine doing anything else. And I want to do it for the rest of my life. You're an encouragement to me. I, I know I'm difficult to work with. And, and, I, and, and the people who work on building projects with me around here, don't say amen at that. But my wife would tell you, I can be difficult. My children could tell you, I can be difficult. I, I, am, I am so ADHD, I run on high octane for 18 hours a day and collapse in bed at night, but I have to wear a tooth guard, according to the dentist, because I gr grind my teeth even while I'm sleeping. 
I get intense. But I am sincere about the Lord's work. I really am. And I really want to see us work together. I love this church. I love the ministries of the church. I love what I do. I love the Lord. I wouldn't do this for anyone else but the Lord. There are so many other vocations I could be in. But it is such a pleasure to serve Him. And it is so important that we love each other. And if I could do something more to to, to drive that home, I would do that. The Son of God ought to be a magnet for us that draws us together. To love each other. You know, they say historically, and this isn't in the Bible, but when John received the revelation in his his early to mid-90s, he got off the island of Patmos. He went back to those seven churches of Asia Minor. He delivered those epistles to them. But Ephesus was kind of a spot that was special to him. Historians tell us that he pastored there for years. And he stayed at Ephesus, and he aged there. And he finally died of old age. He got to the place to where he, he couldn't even preach anymore, but he insisted at, on being at the church services. And, and so every Sunday morning, they would carry him in. And it was a tradition they had every Sunday. They would carry him to the front. He couldn't preach, but he had something he wanted to say before the service began. And, and, and with a weak, feeble voice, he would, he would trembling and say, Little children, love each other. As Christ loved us. That's about all he could muster up. They carried him off. But they waited there every week to hear him say that. Love each other as Christ loved us. I don't want to live a loveless life. I don't want to die a, a, a cranky old man. I hope you don't. I, I, I hope you don't, ladies, die a crotchety old woman who, who, who is loveless. Those... Those words, I love you, three simple words. We just don't say them enough, do we? I'll guarantee you this much. On 9-11, when some people in airplanes or people in skyscrapers realized what was impending, they got on their cell phones and those words were said. Without shame, I love you. I tell my dad that. He's 84. Before we hang up, we tell each other we love each other. We ought to say it more, folks. We ought to say it more. We ought to make Fargo Baptist Church a loving place. You know, we make much to do about doctrine around here, and we should, because this is a place to learn, but it's also a place to love. It's also a place to love as we walk in the light. Many years ago, there was a preacher who kept praying, Lord, have compassion on this lost world. Lord, have compassion on the sinner. And he did that for weeks and months and years. Finally, one day God smote his heart. He said it was almost like I could hear a voice. God saying, I've proven my compassion for this lost world. How about you showing yours now? How about you showing yours now? God has shown his to this lost world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God so loved the world that He sent His very Son, Jesus Christ, to suffer, to bleed, to die, hanging between heaven and earth on a rugged Roman cross to pay for our sins. God's shown His love at Calvary. I'm so thankful I've accepted that love. Maybe you sit here today and you've never been born again the Bible way. May I encourage you to step out of the dark and into the light. 
And if you are here today and you are saved and you do know the Lord, let me just say this about Christianity. The trademark of Christianity is not some bumper sticker that you have on the back of your car that says something about your faith. The trademark of Christianity is not this five-pound cross you wear around your neck or this ten-pound Bible you carry around or these, these statements that, that uh, you make about the truth and the standards and the doctrine and I'm um, for all that stuff. <laughs> well, let me just say this. The trademark of Christianity is love. That is a Christian's trademark. God help us in this area. You've been listening to Pastor Tony Skeving of the Fargo Baptist Church in Fargo, North Dakota. If you would like a CD of today's message, you can obtain one by sending a gift of $2 to Fargo Baptist Church, 3303 23rd Avenue South, Fargo, North Dakota, 58103. That address again, Fargo Baptist Church, 3303 23rd Avenue South, Fargo, North Dakota, 58103. We hope you'll join Pastor Skeving next time right here on Pulpit Power. Pulpit Power is a production of Heaven 88.7.